everyone. Welcome back to the Bowery Capital Startup Sales Podcast. We have a great podcast for you today. I've got Jean DeWitt on with me. She is the head of sales for U.S. and Canada at Stripe. Jean, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So before we jump into the topic and and discussing, you know, sales team structuring in transactional organizations, which I think you're uniquely qualified to talk about, can you give the listeners a little bit about your background and what your story is? Just some details about you would be really helpful for the audience. Sure. Um, so my whole career is actually in tech. I was fortunate enough to join Google back right after Gmail had launched in their support organization. And I worked on Gmail, Google Talk, and Google Voice for about four years, which I think gave me a lot of insight into how to figure out how to operate at scale and how to drive effective interactions between customer-facing teams and engineering teams, as well as get some initial exposure to people management. And then I took two years off to go to business school to try to get a little bit of a broader view of the world and then came right on back to Google and joined the Google Cloud organization back in 2010, uh, which was an interesting time to join that uh, org. At that point, that was barely a term, which is kind of hard to believe. And Google Apps was all three years old. So uh, the product, which is now G Suite, was sort of similar age to when I ultimately joined, had joined Stripe. And there helped figure out our freemium strategy, which had been a little bit of problematic or causing problems for us, but uh, reeled that in a little bit so that we could actually create an S&D sales organization that was transactional in nature, and then went on to help us figure out our go-to-market strategy in both APAC and LATAM. And after four years of that, decided I'd love to try my hands at a startup, and so I left to join a fast company in the communication space uh, called Dialpad and ran all things go-to-market there, including helping them figure out their enterprise sales strategy since we sort of accidentally fell into what seemed to be a, a strong product market fit with an enterprise segment. And I'm now almost precisely two years into Stripe, uh, and the sales organization is actually about two and a half years old, so still in its infancy in the scheme of things. And I've been really focused on helping out, helping build out our sales process and sort of key go-to-market levers, as well as helping Stripe move up market into the enterprise segment as well. Got it. And what, maybe for the three people that don't know, can you maybe give a little background on Stripe and maybe maybe just to narrow what, what's going on today at the company and, and anything you can publicly disclose for the audience would be awesome. Yeah. So I think kind of at a high level, internet real, the internet has really been missing commerce infrastructure. So for a long time, it was way too complicated to start accepting money online. And it's interesting because I think we all take infrastructure as a service for granted with things like AWS and Google Cloud Platform, but no one really ever tackled that for payments because it was historically provided by banks. And so this is where Stripe comes in. Our mission is to grow the GDP of the internet. Um, which sounds wonderful, but what does that really mean? <laughs> so I think most people will be surprised to know that uh, only about 5 to 8% of global commerce happens online. Uh, but interestingly, the Internet economy is growing at about 2x the rate of uh, the global GDP. So um, for Stripe, we're obviously trying to contribute to the acceleration of that. And some of, I think, the more interesting things um, on our end have been that as of last year, well over half of Americans had purchased something online from a Stripe user, which you probably wouldn't necessarily think of given that Stripe is infrastructure, so we're normally behind the scenes. 
Um, and also it's not just sort of a tech forward, you know, New York, San Francisco type thing. Um, over half of our customers are based in the South and Midwest. So we have a lot of broad usage um, across the U.S. and frankly globally. Um, I think the other thing going on is that payments really isn't just about taking a dollar anymore. It's about facilitating complex business models, so subscriptions, multi-party payments for platforms and marketplaces, et cetera. So you also see things like Lyft, for example, over half of their driver payments, payouts are happening through instant payouts, which is something that Stripe really built in conjunction with Lyft to give them a bit of an advantage. Um, or a company like Kickstarter, which you know, is still small in the scheme of things, is able to launch eight new countries within a couple months of switching to Stripe. Um, so, so the big things we're focused on right now are really building out all of that um, supporting structure around taking a payment, as well as increasing our global footprint and then continuing to move up market. Excellent. And I always ask this question, what is one thing that no one on this podcast will know about you? <laughs> um, so I, I mentioned that my first job at Google was in support for Gmail. And at the time that I left the team in 2008, I had answered more customer support emails than any other employee at Google. So if you wrote to Google about Gmail between 2004 and 2008, there's a very good chance I personally answered your email. What, and will you share with us the raw number? Um, it was in the upper <laughs> tens of thousands. <laughs> tens of thousands, wow. Yeah, yeah. I think that my favorites were explaining to um, people why I couldn't give them an invite when people were paying $200 for them on eBay. <laughs> uh, so kind <laughs> oh, of yeah. crazy. I'm That's great. <laughs> okay, excellent. Yeah, I, I would guess that no one knew that about you. Um, but maybe, who knows, maybe they interacted with you. Anyways, yeah. uh, so we're talking today about sales structuring primarily in transactional organizations and taking this from an organizational design standpoint. So maybe just at the top level, when I say sort of transaction or transactional organization, you know, it means a lot of different things to different people. I think people will conceptually grasp that Stripe started as, as a business in and around this space. But can you just sort of give us a background on what you think about when you hear that term and maybe some company examples to, to anchor it just so the audience has an understanding of, of how to set this up? Sure. I think the crux in my mind of transactional is that there's little to no customization involved, particularly from a product perspective. So, you know, I might describe the product as, kind of quote-unquote package, which is people may use it differently, but it, the feature set is fundamentally going to be the same no matter what. And then similarly, there's generally little pricing flexibility. So a salesperson may have one or two pre-approved discounts, but it's not like you're going to be putting together a custom commercial model um, for, for the sale. And so that often lends itself to a sales cycle that's less than 30 days. That can be anywhere from the sort of one call close to multiple touches across you know, the course of a few weeks. I think generally there's going to be a single decision maker. Um, there may be others involved, but kind of one key person. I think there's also a tendency towards kind of education and overcoming objections and sort of demonstrating value or relative value um, rather than necessarily having to build a comprehensive business case. Um, and I think the other big thing in today's um, sales environment is that a transactional sales organization often runs in parallel with a self-service sale. 
So you may have an online channel, uh, you know, without human intervention that actually has a profile of customers that's quite similar to the ones that you are also servicing on a one-to-one -one basis with salespeople. Um, so to give some examples, I think, you know, many SMB SaaS products would fall into a transactional sales category. Um, the lower end of, of G Suite definitely was that. Uh, AdWords, I think, would be that, again, in the SMB segment. Stripe, I think, is a little different in that the API is rather flexible, but I, similarly for our smallest clients, I would say it's reasonably transactional. Um, and I think sometimes you can see this dynamic um, with sales teams that are selling within two larger accounts. So an example for that would have been when I was at Valve, had our product Uber conference. Um, you know, you're, you're not typically selling that enterprise wide. You might be selling it to a 20-person sales organization. Um, and so that can, you know, be transactional as well. Got it. What it, from an organizational design standpoint, you've been, you know, first hire into the organization. You now are, are, are at that sort of management or executive level. How, how are these businesses normally set up and what do you see, you know, from Valpad, mm -hmm. G Suite, Stripe, other companies? Yeah, so when they're a mature sales organization, I would say typically has a combination of SDRs, sales development reps, account executives, and a support organization. What I think is important to understand, though, for a startup is even though that may be where you're headed, it's definitely not where you need to start. Um, so what I, what I think you often see with a transactional sale is that you actually frequently start with your support organization doing salesy activities. Um, and a lot of times, frankly, that can work well at the outset because transact transactional sales often lend themselves to an intermix of sort of sales process elements, but also general Q&A and support. Um, so I think you sort of can then add in sales and sort of you know, start with your support organization, now add in sales when you sort of see that it's important to have follow-up, that these really aren't kind of you know, one one call interactions or one email interactions and you need to do more hunting. Um, I think uh, also where you definitely want to add in sales is if you're not being responsive enough to inbound leads. Uh, that was a big reason why Stripe ultimately ended up uh, investing in sales was they had originally been flowing all of the inbound leads through the support organization and we were just getting flooded and couldn't be responsive enough. And there's a real half-life of a lead. You need to get back to them literally within minutes. So uh, doing so, you know, quickly uh, works. They are having sales help help you do that. Um, other things to maybe consider is also what's the intermix of um, your own sales force and potentially vendors. Uh, so depending on your annual contract value. You know, that is something a lot of times folks need to think about is what is the most cost-effective way to be able to um, get folks uh, through the sales process. I'd say one of the things on the vendor front is that if people consider something like that, I think it's really important to first master the craft. Um, so really understand what your sales process looks like, what's the content you need, what's the supporting collateral that you can then train your vendors. Um, and it's also important to have some amount of holdout happening internally so that you're always getting feedback bubbled up to your engineering teams and improving the overall experience. Um, the other thing that startups generally do have to invest in is realistically, not everyone is blessed with a ton of inbound demand. And so you have to start looking into outbound SDRs. 
Um, but I think this can also be where startups make a lot of mistakes. Uh, and so some of the key things I think people maybe don't con consider and jump a little bit too quickly into outbound SDRs is not really understanding the math of what needs to be true behind your LTV to CAC equation. You're obviously not going to know the specific you know, numbers at this point in, uh, in your, your maturity, but you kind of need to know directionally what you would need to believe. Um, I think also people will throw people at the problem without appropriate controls in place. If you don't have the ability to measure and learn and can introduce some brand risk. Um, and then lastly, particularly when working, you know, with founders who may not have a sales or, uh, orientation, the sort of lack of patience and sort of overly high expectations on immediate return of an outbound function, actually an incredibly difficult function to set up to predictably deliver revenue. Um, when I was at Google, we built it, killed it because we didn't like the economics. And then a year later had to bring it back and be a little bit more patient that time. Um, uh, so, so yeah, and then I would say on top of that, all high performing companies, you really want to invest in appropriate analytics functions because the, the great thing about transactional sales is you get a lot of data points. And so the data can be quite insightful. Got it. And ha just to level set, how, so, uh, and, and then I'll sort of, uh, this is kind of a two part question, but I'll give you the first part. How, how is Stripe set up just so that everyone listening sort of knows, right? You obviously said you, you move from a, a customer success focused response. The half-life obviously was, was, uh, getting destroyed. And so you started to build out a sales function. What does that kind of look like today? I guess at, at scale. Sure. Well, let me give you sort of like the, a little bit of a cut on maybe some ways in which we approach where I just outlined a little bit differently, and then I'll give you sort of the high level or design for Stripe um, okay. or the Stripe sales organization. So, so in the first part, kind of within that, you know, SDR's AE's um, support, a couple of things that we've done differently is actually we've uh, really delayed the introduction of SDRs. Uh, we still don't have them. And part of that was from a customer experience perspective, I've always felt sort of like the qualification and then handoff to another person is not really optimal when you might only need to talk to that company twice. Um, so we really sort of tried to optimize around customer experience and, and velocity. What that means is we have to have a lot of operational attention into you know, blocks where you're going to have people specifically just taking inbound to make sure we can meet SLAs. Um, that's the number one thing you risk. So it's a little bit more operationally challenging, but I think it's better for us, both for velocity and customer experience. The other big thing on the outbound front is, um, you know, while Stripe could certainly afford to invest in outbound, we also really value one of our operating principles is efficiency is leverage. And so we are trying to take an approach to outbound to really get to scale so that you don't wind up in some of these more typical ratios of, you know, two AEs to an SDR, three AEs to an SDR. Um, and so we really heavily centralized uh, our outbound function within sales and run it almost quasi like, like marketing. So done a lot of investment in developing and finding our ideal customer profile. Uh, going deep into the different personas with an account and creating specific messaging with a lot of A-B testing, having centralized data augmentation, um, and then really prospecting high uh, within an account. A lot of what I just said will sound sort of like typical outbound to folks, 
Um, but I think the way in which we sort of systematized it means kind of the SDR is, is helping with the response, but doing less of the original touch execution, which also really helps us, I think, protect our brand. Um, so that's sort of on, on those. Now, transitioning to how to be more broadly organized, Stripe, the sales organization is divided into new business. So those folks going after a brand new customer acquisition, that's the part that, that I oversee. And then our accounts organization, which is then subdivided into a customer success function and a renewals and upsell function. Um, contract renewals for us is, is definitely an, an involved process. Um, within that, we then, our first major cut was to introduce size segmentation. Um, we also over, overlay a company's growth rate as part of that segmentation. So we have a team that is focused on the SMB and then specifically startup segments. We have a team that is focused on what we call growth accounts, which directionally you can think of as like a series B through D company, but then also lower mid-market existing accounts. And then we have what we call our late stage and enterprise team. So that would focus on sort of your pre-post IPO accounts from a, you know, a tech uh, orientation, as well as then upper mid-market and enterprise accounts. Um, and then within each of those, we actually have a different sort of go-to-market sales function. So within SMB and startups, we do utilize vendors for some of the, the smallest SMB sales. We have account executives. And then we do a lot of centralized community development and outbound for startups since those are so strategically important to Stripe. Within the growth segment, we have more of that outbound engine that I just described. And then we actually did a vertical orientation because verticals tend to lend themselves towards uh, certain product usage at Stripe. So you can get a little bit more pattern recognition and depth there. And then within the late stage enterprise segment, we have a named account list. Uh, but also, since we're sort of trying to actually figure out where do we best have product market fit within that segment, we really give a lot of autonomy to the account executives to own their own destiny and sort of figuring out where they are finding sweet spots uh, within the market. And then lastly, we also have some supporting functions. So we have a deployment function and we have field engineering, which you can think of as kind of combination of sales engineering and technical account management. And we also have a very highly integrated sales ops sales finance and analytics functions is one of the more data-driven sales organizations that you know, I've been fortunate enough to be involved in. That's super, super helpful. So it strikes me as you've been, you know, just maybe this is more of a, a, a question around, you've been in a, a multitude of these organizations where the very high velocity, predominantly self-service model is the entry point the, mm -hmm. you know perhaps the founders have success and this starts to work and it's you, maybe they add some paid marketing channels or some earned marketing channels but still they're sticking to this one touch or no touch model and then someone like you comes in and speaks with them it takes some time you get excited they get excited what it, do you find that sort of early days coming into these organizations it's challenging. It's easy. I mean, how, how do you how do you handle this? If, and and maybe just if you're talking to the the future, you know, MBA graduates that are going to go into sales management and work hopefully for a great company like Stripe. I mean, what what's the sort of uh, emotional and practical around that? And how have you sort of achieved that or or uh, built that relationship? Mm -hmm. 
relationship with the founders too and sort of getting comfortable with Stripe or with yeah, with sure. sales. Yeah. Or or, yeah, or yeah. With, yeah, with sales in a more fraud thing. <laughs> yeah. Um so I mean Honestly, I think I've been extremely fortunate in that um, John and Patrick really understand the value of sales because they stayed personally involved in selling and integrating customers for a very long time. Um, to this day, it's actually not uncommon for John to hop on a sales call with me or other account executives on the team. Uh, so that's, that's great if your, your founders really get that it's not just one call close, just get your product <laughs> uh, selected. Uh, I think the other thing that I really benefit from at Stripe is, is John and Patrick take a long-term orientation, and so they really want to get the right structure in place as opposed to being overly fixated on the next quarter's target. Now, reasonably speaking, I think those, those two scenarios are, are not often the case as you, um, you know, enter as the first sales leader within an organization. And so based on other companies I've worked with and a lot of other sales leaders I've spoken with, it seems like the two major issues I see crop, crop up are one, you have founders that, you know, think oh, we don't need sales and salespeople will change the culture. Um, and then the second one would be impatience around the timeline for payback of sales. Um, so in the first one, a, a couple things to maybe try or consider. Um, I think one is just trying to get your founders involved in sales. So taking sales calls in front of them having them contribute to, to selling so that they can really get a sense for, uh, for what that feels like. Both, it helps them develop an appreciation for the function, but also, frankly, it's great market feedback for what is and isn't resonating about your product. Um, one of the things we did actually at Dialpad that I thought really worked really well, and we, we do a variant of this at Stripe too, is a sales rotation day. So at Dialpad, we'd actually have folks on the engineering team spend an entire day as a salesperson and we'd stick them, we had chat um, with one of our sales channels. So we'd stick them in the chat, <laughs> chat queue. Uh, and by the end of the day, I think the average engineer understood that sales was actually rather hard. <laughs> um, and we do the same thing at Stripe. We don't uh, necessarily put folks right in front of sales or of, of prospects themselves, but they'll listen in on calls and we walk through our sales strategy. Um, I think the other one is like, you do need to understand the company's culture and create a sales culture that is aligned with it. Um, so, you know, Stripe, I would say, has an engineering-oriented culture that is extremely intellectual. So when we think about hiring salespeople, we look for people who have technical aptitude, who really love learning about products, and who, you know, are generally really bright. Um, so, so those are sort of two things on that front. I think on the other one, with regard to sort of the impatience around the, the timeline associated with really getting sales humming, um, is setting expectations early. So really explaining the funnel, explaining the sales cycle to your founders, um, and then explaining all the pieces that are involved in building this out and how honestly that's akin to building a product. Um, I think a lot of times people just don't have an appreciation for all of the nuance of, of a sales organization. Got it. Okay. Very helpful. I love, I love the, the tip on uh, engineering teams interacting with your customer success organization. That's probably hilarious. And they just, <laughs> you know, I think if we did that in our, in our companies, they would very quickly understand the same things. Um, maybe, maybe talk a bit about, uh, you know, metrics and, and, you know, expectations before you even 
build out the the mm-hmm. transaction piece or grow off of self serve? What do you, what did you instill in the founders, and how do you think about that? Just even sort of pre creation of this effort. Yeah, I I would say that I think your inbound demand needs to be able to cover at least half of your revenue goals before you really start aggressively investing in sales. Um, And the reason is that if you can't do that, then I would question the degree to which you've achieved appropriate product market fit. Uh, Now, again, that's for this transactional sales segment. Um, I also, because also if you invest before you've got a reasonable inbound engine, I think that there's a good chance that you're likely to get better scale with lower acquisition costs by investing in various marketing tactics and sort of exhausting the return on those before you start throwing salespeople out of problems, starting to do outbound, et cetera. Um, I think the other things you want to look at are having a reasonable understanding of what your likely annual contract value is and having your churn rates be in good shape. Um, you know, at, at, when you're making this investment decision, it's obviously going to be pretty premature to calculate something like an LTV to CAC. And I think it's honestly, it can be a dubious exercise even in the first year or so. Um, but uh, you want to sort of have reasonable napkin math about the type of uh, acquisition costs that you can support. Um, I think, uh, so all of that said, that's more kind of like when you maybe want to hit the gas. And by hit the gas, I'm not saying go hire 20, 30, 100 people. Like we're talking even getting to your first seven to 10. Um, So I think sort of the converse side of that is having some investment in sales early. So, you know, one to three, (laughs) maybe in advance of where, when you might otherwise think you need it will help you get better pattern recognition. I think will actually help you figure out where your product is winning and what messages are resonating. Uh, and then, you know, lastly, I think it takes longer than you would anticipate to build out an effective sales function. So you also likely need to start building it six months earlier than you think you do. Um, so sort of giving advice on opposite ends of the spectrum, but, you know, that's why go-to-market is complicated. Sure. No, that makes sense. And then you got, you know, you, you sort of uh, talked a little bit about what's, you know, what you've seen is the best way to set this up and, and organizational design for sort of long-term success, you know, start slow and start small. Any sort of broader or bigger tips or tricks that you've seen work or, or maybe take the, the, the question the opposite way? What, what have you seen just not work flat out if you, if you do have that, that inbound problem and then you, you do make the decision to sort of move into this segment? What, what are some of the yeah. bigger things to consider? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the first one, and I think this is actually maybe a little bit sacrilege to say in sales, but I would actually say potentially avoiding structure at first can be a good thing. One is when you introduce territories, compensation plans, it requires a lot of solid systems work, arbitration, et cetera. So you sort of end up necessitating either a lot of your own time as a manager on things that are what are arguably not super strategic, or you sort of have to immediately hire a sales ops person when maybe that's not the best use of your next incremental head as a startup. Um, so I sort of think at the start, round robin things, expect people to come and be hungry, but you know, ensure that they're having the right long-term orientation for the company. But I would sort of not assume a certain structure. 
Um, and and I'll, I'll give you an actual example is, you know, there does reach a point, right, where you have enough people, you've learned enough that you do want to add structure. And I think you want to add structure based on the differences in the company purchasing behavior. Uh, and so, so to give you an example, uh, you know, at, at Google, we really, our main segmentation was size-based. Um, G Suite is a, a pretty horizontal product. So you didn't really need a ton of verticalization, um, you know, in the S&D portion of the market. And when I came into Stripe, we, the team was less than 10 people and had already verticalized, which I, my immediate reaction was like, that seems, you know, crazy. It's a lot, that's a lot of structure. Um, but the reality was the way a SaaS company and a marketplace bought was fundamentally differently, different. The value proposition was different. The type of people who were involved were different, um, so on and so forth. So I think, um, I think that's actually some of my biggest advice is you've got to sort of go to first principles, be intellectually curious about actually how are your customers buying and then use that to dictate how you structure things. Um, the other things I would say is painting though a, a picture relatively early on with the team that there is going to be change and every six to 12 months we will have learned enough that you should anticipate a new structural change. Um, I think that sales folks don't love being restructured, right? Often it also sort of means a narrowing of the you know, patch that they get to sell into. Um, so sort of giving people more of a vision of what a more mature sales organization could look like, even if yours never winds up looking like that, I think just helps sort of prime people for change. Um, and then the other thing that we, we did at Stripe, which I've never done before, and I think um, it was a, a really worked out surprisingly well, was when we changed structure, we allowed people to interview um, for the new role. So the example would be, we, we actually relatively recently moved into size uh, segmentation. And so when we did that, there are obviously some more senior sales reps who I thought were more likely to be a natural fit for certain segments. Um, but we, we kept the, the, you know, criteria objective and it ended up being great because uh, you got the ability to interview a couple folks and sort of realize what their career aspirations were and how you could support them regardless of whether or not they made the move at that time. Um, so that's something I would definitely continue to do in my own organizations going forward. Very interesting. Maybe, uh, okay, so that's perfect. And then hiring outside of that specifically, you talked also about the values piece and, and how the culture is super important. How, what do you, maybe just to sort of close on that component, what is career trajectory look like? I mean, obviously you're, you're bringing in people that want to grow and want to succeed, but the, the logical question is, okay, well, if there's no sort of big ticket AE role or, or uh, strategic account, or I, how, how do I move up in a transaction oriented, you know, organization? Do you have any kind of thoughts just on that and how you framed it and set it up? Yeah. I mean, for, so first I would say, obviously one natural career progression within sales is to move into increasingly larger accounts. I feel like that career progression sort of gets overly glorified. Uh, the reality is, is selling into different size accounts is, it can often be a fundamentally different skill set and just sort of different energy levels. Um, so, you know, I've, I've got a couple of folks on my team who are awesome in the growth segment, and I would love to retain them in that segment as long as possible and have them challenged because I think they're great at 
you know, a, a reasonably high velocity um, sale, which is very different than going into a 12-month, you know, multi-constituent, pass a bill through Congress type sale with enterprise, right? So I think actually as a sales function, we all need to get better at determining robust career paths within each, you know, major type of sales. Um, so I think some of the things that we do is Within Stripe, we really have an expectation that the folks joining are both going to be excellent sellers who deliver on you know, their targets, but also builders who want to lay the foundation for the organization. And so it's really our expectation that folks are spending 20, 25% of their time driving projects, analytical work, et cetera, that help us um, you know, really up-level our overall go-to-market. I think that's, that's obviously easy to do when you're a startup and you basically haven't, you know, figured out anything from your metrics to your team meetings to, you know, your basic pitch content, et cetera. But that was still true, actually, in the organization, we, the S&B organization we ran at, at Google, where we, you can always do better. There's always something you can better codify or change or the market shift we need to adjust. So I think that's, that's one. And then obviously, if somebody is more senior, my expectation is they're, they're more able to independently and cross-functionally drive challenging, complex strategic projects. Um, the other is, is to move initially into more uh, official mentorship and coaching uh, roles where they're responsible for successfully onboarding new hires into the sales organization and spinning them up. Folks who do that effectively can obviously transition into management. Um, as you build out you know, some of the additional functions, often some some great sales folks can wind up being great at helping figure out that outbound function. Um, and then the other is I think sales is a great entry point into a company. And so as a sales leader, you also need to think of yourself as a general training bed for other roles within the company. And I think exporting talent from the sales organization really benefits the sales org because then your folks in marketing or in biz ops or finance or wherever they end up um, really understand the customer and what it feels like to be on the front line. Um, you obviously want to retain people long enough that, you know, you pay back your investment in training them. But I also think it's good to be able to support people's careers more broadly. Got it. La uh, maybe last, I, I thought of a, another bit of a question related to talent and, and hiring and stuff. You know, celebrating successes and wins if the organization is not traditional in that sense do you have you structured spiffs president's clubs any what 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 do you guys do to to keep people excited and and um happy i guess you could say yeah 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 we um so there are a couple things we do um you know our company has an all hands every other week and often the uh, customers that the sales team is bringing on board get highlighted at that all hands, including, you know, the smaller ones that aren't some you know, massive enterprise logo. Um, we send a weekly email to the company about all of our progress from a sales perspective and we highlight major wins by segments so that you can always call out, um, you know, uh, smaller opportunities as well. Uh, from an awards perspective, we, we do do annual awards, both for our top salesperson, um, but also for key people who contribute to the company um, in areas aligned with our operating principles. And we actually let the sales organization vote on those. Um, so 
sort of have the objective numbers driven one and then a set of ones that are a little bit more about the how. Uh, and so those uh, folks went out to dinner with our founders, which I think people enjoyed. Um, and then uh, we haven't done anything like really stiff or competition wise at Stripe at Google. We did a fair amount of that. Uh, we had some weekly competitions and they were always organized by account executives within the team. I just always felt that that worked better was when um, you know, the folks doing the work got to pick the thing that would be exciting to them. Obviously, it needs to align to, to our goals, but it seemed to get people more excited. Wonderful. All right. We have spoken for about 35, 40 minutes, maybe just to sort of wrap everything up. We've talked about the what we mean when we say transactional. We've talked about sort of the setup from an organizational standpoint, early days, what can work, what cannot work a lot of the math needed to actually move from self-serve to, to this and, and what, what are the sort of biggest things to be conscious of. We've talked about hiring, incentives, uh, probably a bunch, a bunch more stuff that I'm forgetting, but maybe if you were to bottle all of that up, any, any final tips and tricks and, and thoughts for folks to summarize and maybe with the angle of a lot of, companies that listen to the podcast are nowhere near the size and the scale of Stripe. So sort of for the, for the younger generation of companies out there, um, what, what does Jean say about all of this? <laughs> what is, what is her macro advice? <laughs> no small feet for the end of an interview. Um, right. Right. Uh, yeah. So I guess sort of, Everyone always, you know, people are listening to this podcast are obviously trying to, to get a sense for best best practice. Um, but one of the things I, I might suggest is that I think most of us working for startups are trying to reinvent a better way of doing something, right? So for Stripe, that's taking legacy approach to payments and turning that into global economic uh, infrastructure built for developers. Um, but I also think that sales is right for reinvention. Um, and one of the things I always tell my team is that if you wanted to learn how to sell technology in the 70s and 80s, you went to IBM. In the 90s, you went to Oracle. In the 2000s, you went to Salesforce. And I think that most sales organizations continue to predominantly use the same underlying fundamentals of those three organizations. And I honestly don't think that anyone has come up with a defining sales model for today's online environment. Uh, and so I hope that that's something we're creating at Stripe, but I also think for other sales leaders at startups, you should question the common wisdom and, you know, pluck out not nuggets that, that resonate for you, but also don't be afraid to try things that are fundamentally different. Uh, and as a result, hopefully one of those folks will, will wind up on your podcast in the future and, and I'll be listening to what they've been able to come up with. That is Extremely well said. I think I'm going to use that from now on if you don't mind. If you don't mind. <laughs> it's all yours. Well, Gene, thank you so much for coming onto the show. We've been talking about sales team structuring mostly in, in transactional organizations, and we cannot thank you enough for, for joining us. Wishing you uh, all the best. Awesome. Thanks so much. It was really a pleasure.
thank you for downloading this Bowery Capital Startup Sales Podcast. Bowery Capital is a business software-focused venture capital firm specializing in helping our founders build initial revenue traction. For more information, please visit us online at BoweryCap.com backslash blog.